All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you feeling? Good. Glad you're here today. I'm glad we're here to worship. I'm glad to be here today. And I'm glad because we have a special family, the Lee family today, with us in town. And they are actually going to be giving the word of God, Pastor Dehan specifically, the word of God to us today. Now, let me introduce uh, Pastor Dehan to you. He won't say this, but he's one of the superstars of our ministry. Okay? And so literally, I, I know, I'm sorry. No pressure. But here's the, like, here is the thing. He is actually a hometown Chicago boy. How about that? Okay, lived 25 years in Chicago, grew up uh, both here and in the Glenview area. And more than that, he is also a wildcat. Come on now. And his wife went to the University of Chicago. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? North, no, Northwestern together. Sister. See, whole family. <laughs> whole family Chicago. So two Northwesterners and the University of Chicago. So how many people love vested people in the city of Chicago? Okay. So what we're doing is they're actually going to Pastor Dion's going to be preaching to us today. And he's a senior pastor of our L.A. church, which is called Renew Church L.A. And they are blowing up, actually seeing God minister to people, bring people to salvation, faith, discipleship, and releasing them into the purposes of God. And today he's going to speak to us about being both emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy. So can you give the greatest love in your heart round of applause to Pastor Dion Lee? Can I borrow one of these? Okay. See, that's what we do in our movement. We go to each other's churches and call each other superstars. That's what we do. So, Rollin, when you come to L.A., you're my superstar. Yeah. Uh, we use those terms lightly, I guess. <laughs> I'm not a superstar. Um, I do have legit Chicago cred. Um, I do. I grew up in Chicago, uh, in the city, and then when I was about fourth grade, moved to the Burbs, spent my life. Glenview, Wilmette, that area, anyone knows that area? Yeah, uh-huh. Went to school at New Trier High School, went to college at Northwestern, went to seminary at Trinity Evangelical, and the Chicago blood still flows because in 2016, I wept tears of joy <laughs> as the Cubs won the World Series. I wept tears of joy. You don't understand. My family does. They're like, Dad, you're crazy. But I was weeping tears of joy. Um, a lot of memories watching the Cubs with my dad, so um, it was a beautiful thing in my soul. <laughs> I've got a, a daughter, freshman at Northwestern, um, so yeah, Chicago still runs through me. Really glad to be here. Uh, thank you, Pastor Rollin, your whole family, all the staff. Um, I love the fact there's a beautiful church uh, in the Windy City, a beautiful church in Chicago, um, and now you've got family in L.A., so if you're ever in L.A., look up Renew. I've been asked to speak on emotional health. That happens a lot because my wife and I have spent a lot of time studying emotional health, working directly with Peter and Jerry Scazzaro who wrote the book Emotional Healthy Everything, right? There's a whole series. Um, but I am not the poster child. In fact, I get quite intimidated being introduced as the emotional healthy guy because I'm often not emotionally healthy. I do it because I need it. I don't know how to survive as a Christian in this world and climate without understanding emotional health. And so hopefully, um, I know it's Palm Sunday, um, but I, hopefully this message will help you integrate what's going on inside you with your faith. Because um, faith gets really thin if it doesn't touch what's inside you. Amen? So turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. Uh, and let me pray. Lord, thank you for this moment. 
thank you for my family in Chicago. Thank you for Second City Church. Thank you for these beautiful people. Be with this servant. Be with this non-superstar. Help me to speak your word with your power. I pray this in your name. Amen. So today, the title of this message is The Importance of Self. And the moment I say that, I hate it. I don't know if you'll ever hear a pastor come up and say the importance of self. Uh, because in the Christian world, in the church, churches I've been at, I've been trained to not think the self is important. Right? The self is not a neutral word, certainly not a positive word. The two things you do with the self is you either renunciate it and surrender it to God, just throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, or you indulge the self. It's one of those two extremes. You're either pleasing yourself and indulging your flesh or giving yourself away to God. And in the journey of emotional health, one of the big lessons that you learn is that you can't truly know God unless you actually know yourself. Why else would you spend 85 plus years in this self? Why would God give you five senses? He could have just given you smell. You're just giant noses walking the earth. <laughs> or just hands and feet. You just touch your way through. But he's given you five integrated senses to experience life in high definition. Why? It's not just me who's saying this. Augustine, we all respect the great church father Augustine. He wrote, how can you draw close to God when you are far away from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Meister Eckhart, a Dominican monk from the 13th century, wrote, No one can know God who does not first know him or herself. And the great John Calvin, if you're reformed, writes in the 16th century, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine what, which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. So some really smart saints who've gone before us have said the same thing, that when your theology is divorced from a deep understanding of self, you become, you become very thin. We sing these big words on the screen, and they're worthy words to sing, but if it comes right from your brain, out your mouth, they're just words. It's trivia. The way they become worship is it drops 18 inches and you live it and you feel it. God is merciful. Has that touched your life? God is good. Have you felt his goodness? Because until it drops 18 inches and then comes back up and out your mouth, it's not worship. It's just, you're just saying things, right? What I love about the psalm, we're going to read Psalm 139, is that you have in this book is a human being in the name of David, by the man of, uh, named David, who, who, you see a true self engaging with the true God, a deep self engaging with the deep God, the depths of a human being engaging with the depths of God. Therefore, you have all these chapters you can engage with when you're happy and when you're sad, when you're courageous and when you're weak, when you're successful and when you're a failure. We go to the Psalms about every part of our life because in the Psalms you have the deepest engagement of a self and of God. 
and out of it comes very deep things. Let's read together Psalm 139. And this is in the NIV. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. The light, around, uh, the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. And notice that little footnote, A. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The reason I point to that little A, if you look down in your Bible, it says that another legitimate translation is, how amazing are your thoughts concerning me? I had never seen that before. You should pay attention to little footnotes. So as he's thinking through all these thoughts, he gets to verse 17, and he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. Now, I used to read that as just David kind of reflecting on like, wow, God, there's these abstract thoughts about God, these beautiful poetic thoughts about God. But that footnote, and I think it's the proper way to read it because of the context, what David's really saying is, Wow, you think a lot about me, God. How precious to me are your thoughts about me. When he says that um, uh, how vast is the sum of them, he's not saying abstractly God has a lot of thoughts. He's saying you have a lot of thoughts about me. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. David's not saying, God, you have infinite concepts. He's saying, I can't even count the number of thoughts you have about me. You want to go, David, you're an egotist. You're narcissistic. Good Lord, like, is that what goes through your brain about how much God thinks of you? Yes. David somehow has this sense of self where he can come before God and engage a God who thinks about him more than there are numbers of sand in the desert. That's where he's at. I want to know God like that. 
I want to deeply engage with the God who thinks about me in all those ways. Maybe that's not selfish. Maybe if I thought about the way God thought of me, I won't worry so much about what other people think of me. Maybe I can be myself if I find myself in the thoughts of God, not in the thoughts of man. There are a few ways here that I'm so blown away at the way David engages God. I want to share them with you. First is that he sees God in his everyday, God in my everyday. It starts with, you know, when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows when I'm heading out. He knows when I'm lying down. And I think to myself, that's kind of embarrassing. Like, God, why would you waste your time with such ridiculous thoughts? If I were to text my wife every three seconds, honey, I just got up. I'm brushing my teeth now. I'm getting my venti with uh, cream and Splenda. I started my car. I've got a black shirt on. She's like, she's like stop it. <laughs> stop wasting my time. Who relates to anyone like this? Where all these banal, dumb details matter. And then I realized, oh, there is a relationship like that. It's when you have a baby. I see a baby. How old is your child? Two months. At this stage of your life, your entire life is dominated by poop cycles, right? <laughs> and every small thing your child does is like reasons to like celebrate, right? It's the yeah, greatest thing ever, yeah. You track everything. How often they poop, how often they drink, whether they have applesauce or they lift the Cheerio to their mouth, you know. Uh, if they say a word, it's like the whole world has shifted, right? I've got a 10-year-old, and she still thinks the whole world revolves around her. She'll like, you know, flip around. Dad, did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Okay, let me do it again, right in front of your face. Daddy, 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 she'll interrupt like every meeting I have and show me a splinter in her finger or the fact she stubbed her toe. The whole world has to stop. And then I realize what David's experiencing is the love of his Abba. <laughs> the only person I know who would be that interested in every little thing I do is my mom and dad when I was a baby, when I was small. I have an 18-year-old. If she were to do this and say, hey, look at me, I'd be like, are you, how do you go to college? Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> I just want general updates every quarter. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I don't want that much, <laughs> I can't handle much more. <laughs> and what's insane is David's never grown out of being a child in front of his Abba. That he would dwell on the fact that God knows when he sits and when he lies and when he gets up. And David's engaging with the God who truly loves him like his boy. And that David's recognizing, I'm worth knowing. My life does matter. Like, I think so often in life, we think we have to God, give God quarterly updates, like, God, I got promoted. Uh, I have a boyfriend now or a girlfriend now, and 
I've got this big decision I have to make. Is it this job or that job? Or do I move to Cleveland or move to LA? Yes to LA. (laughs) (laughs) And I forget, no, God actually cares about the fact I'm in my car, I'm breathing, I'm getting older, I'm sad today, I'm happy today. Because that's how I'd feel about my kid. And I think it's so powerful and so beautiful. He has his first first five, and you lay your hand upon me. Oh, if you're a parent, you know what that's like. When you have a crying child strapped to the car seat behind you, the only thing that can sometimes settle a child is you throw your hand back there, <laughs> right? And then you're driving like this, and then you're like, oh, this is tiring. I'm cramping. So you like. Ah! Like, all right, all right, all right, here you go. <laughs> but even now, my 10-year-old sometimes just wants my hand on her because the hand is a hand of comfort, presence, favor. It's not like this kind of hand, right? It's a hand of love. And David's feeling that. God's hand is on me. I'm worth having God's hand on. The details of my life matter. The things I do matter. What a beautiful sense of self David has. That he matters so much to God. And that's not improper. Because he's our Abba who loves us. The the second thing I see, God in my everyday, I see God in my emotions. I I think this is some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, uh, even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. I used to read that... um, kind of face value as like God being omnipresent. Like wherever David goes, whether it's he's in Jerusalem or he's in Bethel or God's, whether I'm in Chicago or I'm in LA, God. But I realized, I think David's saying more. I don't think David's just kind of waxing poetic about a pretty obvious fact that God's everywhere. It doesn't take me great faith to believe God's in Chicago and LA at the same time. You know what takes me great faith? to believe that God's not only in my victory, but also in my shame. That distance is a bigger distance than Chicago to LA, amen? I think when he says that, God, uh, where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. The heavens is speaking of a emotional topography. Like when he slung that rock and killed Goliath, or when he finally got to the throne, or when he built the temple of God. It's these high pinnacle moments where he's like, even there, God, you're with me. So when he says, when I make my bed in the depths of the sea, the sea was a place uh, that was uh, imagined to be total darkness, total void. Like when he's being chased in the desert by King Saul or chased off the throne by his own son, 
for seeing his sons kill each other and rape their own sister. When his decisions as a leader kills hundreds of thousands of people in his kingdom. I think David's saying even there, even in those painful, dark emotions, painful, dark emotions, you're with me. And wouldn't you know it, guys, some of the places we go to in the Psalms, the most beautiful, the most comforting, the most life-giving passages are the ones where David finds God in the dark places. He doesn't edit out his dark emotions, thank God. In fact, when we get to Good Friday, a lot of pastors will read from Psalm 22. It's when David is in such agony, he writes almost suicidal thoughts into a worship song. And they're so real and so profound that Jesus will quote from Psalm 22 as he hangs on the cross. We go to Psalm 23. We read that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we love that. But that cost David misery and agony to be able to write those words for the rest of us. Thank God David found God in his worst emotions. His most Because if he edited it out like Americans would, oh, pray, raise a hallelujah no matter what. I love that song, by the way, but I don't always connect with it. I raise it too fast. I'm still sad. I'm still scared. I'm just lying to myself. Thank God David just didn't raise a hallelujah and we have 150 chapters of just praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. You know, if you go to, uh, I'm sure, I can't remember the museums, uh, what they had here, but I'm sure they have it. But in L.A., there's a gem collection. One of the favorite places my daughter, uh, Emily, and I go to, and we take time, uh, take, you know, an hour to claim certain gems. Like, I want that, I want that. But none of them did anyone just pick up off a sidewalk. They were all mined from crevices and caves, deep, hard to get to. The most beautiful things of God typically are found in the worst pain. How do you plumb the mercy of God unless you're struggling with condemnation? How do you find God to be gracious unless you know you don't deserve it? How do you find God's patience unless you're trying his patience? How do you, any of the beauty of God's character is found in the pain? In fact, if you look at the names of God, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God my banner, God, it's, all those names are discovered when the people of God are suffering. They call upon his name. God reveals himself, and that becomes a revelatory aspect of who God is. And so perhaps when you're going through the darkest emotions, it's not a rush to fix. It's not a rush to proclaim something over it, smother it with faith and sauce, faith sauce. Maybe the right move is to actually feel it. To actually connect with it. Invite God into it. I think the American church has done a lot of disservice to us in this superficial, positivistic, 
proclaim it, name it. You know, there's a place for courageous faith, but not without the absence of actually feeling. Um, There's this beautiful quote uh, by Dan Allender, Tremper Longman, in this book called The Cry of the Soul. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions usher us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We're frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. That dark emotion you feel that you like to cover up and move past might be the very minds from which the most beautiful things of God could emerge. Emotions are not to be buried or oppressed or ignored, but to be felt. And then you vulnerably come before God and invite him in. And that's what David does in this psalm. He finds God not just in the peaks, but also in the bed, in the depths of the sea where it's dark. Finally, God in my essence. Verses 13 to 16, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Actually, let's start back at verse uh, 13. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then it goes into my frame was not hidden from you and so forth. Um, So David starts with God in his everyday and then God in his emotions. And then he goes to God in his essence. He says that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. In the Hebrew, um, it's speaking about something that's so beautiful it makes you scared. Do you ever like see or experience anything in life where it's so amazing you tremble? For me, it was when I held my baby, all three of them, all three of you, by the way, um, just like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? This is amazing. And that's what David's saying, that he's fearfully and wonderfully made. But he doesn't locate that in his kingship. He doesn't locate that in his power or his authority. He locates that while he's a fetus, while he's being knit together. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so David feels this intrinsically. It's not through his accomplishments. It's not through his authority. It's not through his power. It's not through his success. It's not through his failure. David feels God's 
love and favor to such a degree that even before he could emerge from the womb and do a thing, he knows he's fearfully and wonderfully made. So here's David who is thinking about all the ways God sees his self, how God is his, his, his every day, whatever he's doing, he knows God cares about. He knows God's applauding. He knows God, God is watching and loving and caring for David. He knows that God's with him when he's achieving, and God's with him when he's failing. God's with him when he feels proud of himself. God's with him when he's deeply ashamed. In fact, in those dark places, David knows he can find God maybe in high definition. And here is David saying, in my essence, where I ask the biggest questions, what's my purpose, what's my identity, what am I living for, who am I? He comes away with this one beautiful response, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves me. God adores me. Even before I emerged from the womb, he knew everything about my life, and I declare I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Is David an egotist? Is David narcissistic? Perhaps David already smells the gospel, that God would love us so much that he would send his own son what could be more precious to you that you would trade out your son to have? David knew the heart of God. And that heart of God is so beautifully expressed this week and this coming weekend as we see him die for us and resurrect for us. David is landing on something that is gospel true. He loves you. He loves you. The self is not something to throw away. The self is not something to indulge. God has made you as you with all your emotions to experience his love, the full breath of his love through who you are. But we live this, this deep most of our lives. As you come to know yourself, you will come to know God. And so let's, let's do this for a second. If you can stand with me. There's this little last line in verse 10. I never noticed it before, but it's here. It says, when I awake, I'm still with you. It says, where I'd count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand and dash. When I awake, I am still with you. So this means David's having these thoughts as he's about to drift off to sleep. In that quiet, in that quiet moment before he's sleeping, he's like feeling how many of you feel stuff before you go to bed? It's like, oh, God. Some of us keep the TV on because we don't want to feel it. <laughs> you just drift off to sleep through Netflix. You know, I've been there. But David, in the quiet, is letting his emotions, the weight of it, sink, and he feels it. He's letting God speak over it, speak into it. The last thing I want to give you is that none of this is possible without some stillness, without space. It's hard to feel anything. It's hard to feel God. It's hard to feel yourself. And so if there's two takeaways, you have to know yourself to know God because God is moving in you through your emotions and you have to give yourself space and time to actually feel these things. And so we'll just practice this here in, in, this, 
in this, in this theater. Uh, you have a little circle around you, sacred circle around you, where it's just you and God. And I want you to breathe in five seconds through your nose and breathe out, okay? Take a breath in through your nose and breathe out. Again. One more time. Just one question. What are you feeling right now? Let that weigh on you. What are you feeling? What are you honestly feeling? And I'm going to read this psalm over us as I close. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. For four words on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts about me, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I am still with you. In the name of Jesus, we say, amen.